Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're feeling pretty damn good about the future. After weeks of suspense and uncertainty, this weekend we got a clear winner. It's FC Bayern München. With me this week to talk about the Rekordmeister's victory over Dortmund in the big one and much else in the Bundesliga is none other than Nick Wildhagen. Good to see you again, man. Yeah, great to be back. And let's be honest, this week we are all winners, especially if you're living in the States. Yep, we got a whole new outlook. We've got, you know, lots to talk about in the Bundesliga, however. This is a Bundesliga show, and this was actually a spectacular weekend, I thought. There's a big weekend for Berlin, lots of goals in lots of places, a power struggle in uh, the, the Motor City. What, what else did we got? Well, I mean, my favorite match was, was the last match of the match day, the derby between Bayer Leverkusen and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, which was a thriller. Oh my god. That uh, had so many twists and turns. Um, and a garbage time scorpion you know, kick goal, ooh, for God's sake. <laughs> of, of a guy who used to play for her to Berlin. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, we've got loads and loads of great talking parts. I don't think that Werder Bremen even made it in part one of the show for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, we might have to fix that another week. <laughs> anyway, see you soon. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. And man, <laughs> I think that there are there, there is an obvious answer to what the best of match day seven, which is what we were at, is in terms of uh, star wattage, in terms of actual, you know, you know, up and down action, in terms of fulfilling all of those uh, requirements. But oddly enough, this was actually a week where, you know, if it hadn't been for a you know, so-called classicer. Uh, we could have gone in a lot of different directions for for the best matches this week. This was this was you know an A plus match day. I thought absolutely fantastic goals, goals, goals. Wherever you saw, there wasn't a single goalless draw, and there were comebacks. There were seven converted penalties, which is a new record for match day. So uh, yeah, I, I think uh, we we were really treated to uh, one of those match days that makes us fall in love with the Bundesliga. For sure. So, before we digress too far, we should stay with uh, the, the the thing that people probably are showing up to hear, what everyone in the world was showing up to watch this weekend. That was Dortmund versus Bayern. And, you know, as I've already said, this was a good one. Uh, after a few versions of this fixture, if I'm not mistaken, I think the last three, you had two Bayern thumpings of Dortmund and one uh, sort of KG 1-0 not the kinds of games that uh, fans line up around the block to watch. This was a classicer that, that sort of was back with a vengeance. It was a slugfest. These were two sides who really like to get forward, who, you know, have the personnel to put each other under real pressure. And there was a lot of pressure in, in both directions. There was five goals in the game. It was just a lot of fun. You had end-to-end -end action, critical misses, a potentially pivotal injury, meaning, you know, wh where would you like to start? This was obviously, this was a 3-2 win for Bayern, <laughs> but um, th there's a lot more there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that um, what my biggest takeaway from, from this match was the fact that Bayern are so bloody good at taking impossible chances whenever they are playing in big matches against you know teams that are putting up a fight against them just to exemplify that um you know we we have gotten quite fond of using the xg on on this um show as it is actually quite a good stat to show you how a game was in how balanced or unbalanced a game was uh at any given time. This match actually produced an XG for Dortmund of 2.31, so they did fairly well scoring those two goals. But Bayern's XG was actually 1.34, which, you know, said that, you know, statistically meaning from, from that low an XG, it would mean that Bayern would have been lucky to score two goals. However, they went on and scored three goals. And that Lewandowski goal, I mean, yeah. he is put under pressure by Mats Hummels, who's actually following his run rather well. And he sort of twists his body around in sort of at, at an impossible angle and just gets his head to the ball. And somehow he also manages to place the ball so perfectly out of reach for, for Berkey that uh, you wonder, what is that man made of? 11 goals after 
seven match days, uh, which uh, means that he equaled his run from last season. But this time around, he's only played six games, not all seven of them. So I mean, he's on some run right now. And the goals he's scoring right now, oh my God. Yeah. Play, scoring those kinds of goals, you know, whether it's from Robert Lewandowski or, you know, also a, a free kick from distance, as we saw mm. to close out the first half. Those those are the kinds of goals that that will see you outperform your XG every time. Yeah, and, and, and that last goal at the, at the end of, you know, the first half, it came as a psychologically critical point as well, which, you know, Bayern are so good at just getting those goals somehow. I mean, it was a scrappy free kick goal. I mean, there were a couple of deflections in there, which put the bare ball out of reach, but, you know, they get the job done every time. And, and you know, that's why they are currently topping the table. And that's why they have scored 102 goals in 31 Bundesliga matches under Hansi Flick, which is just an insane run. Yeah, it is pretty damn boffo. You know, I, I kind of want to speak on the other side of these these circumstances for a little bit because, you know, we've talked about Bayern outperforming their XG. We've talked about Dortmund, you know, slightly underperforming. I mean, there was a couple of very, very good chances, one for Erling Haaland and another for, um, you know, Rafael Guerrero. Like Royce definitely towards, had, towards, yeah, towards the end Royce there with, a good with one. that volley. Reina had a pretty good one Yeah, uh, on the run. This very, very easily could have turned out to be, you know, a 5-3 win for Dortmund if, if things had, had been a little bit different. But, you know, even looking at just the run of play, you know, this was a super, super even game. I mean, we had 15 Dortmund shots to 14 Bayern shots, passing accuracy, 80 Beifel Bay, 79 Bayern. Uh, possession was 51-49 that favored Dortmund, but, you know. What's two two percentage points between friends? Um, <laughs> Fifty two to forty eight in the, uh, the the sort of the, the duels one statistic. I mean, this was a game that really felt completely on a level footing, which is the first time in a while where not only do we have a level game, but a level game that was being played at a really high sort of daring attacking level. I, you know, this is exactly what I want from this fixture. It is. I mean. You know, you you would probably have hoped for, for a slightly different outcome, given that you want that excitement, you want that title race, and, you know, now Bayern are off by those three points, and uh, you know what, they are going to face a couple of easy opponents come the next few weeks, uh, next up for them is Werder Bremen, I don't think that's going to be any match for them. So, yeah, um, in the end, it, w- it was the sort of football you wanted to see from, from that match, but maybe not the result you wanted to see from, from it. Yep. Anytime I see Bayern at the top of the table with, you know, even a fairly slight lead like the one that they have right now, I mean, it's it's a, it's a two-point lead over Leipzig and, and a three-point lead over both Dortmund and Leverkusen. You know, as a longtime Bundesliga fan, you see Bayern with, with a two- or three-point lead. All you can think is, next week, that's going to be a three- or four-point lead, and it's just going to grow and grow and grow. But... One thing I will say about this one is there's a couple of things I, I, I guess I could say, but going forward is, you know, Dortmund is a team who, you know, has been knocked for dropping points against small sides, but also has been knocked for, you know, <laughs> getting their asses handed to them by Bayern on the regular uh, in recent years. And at the very least, this is not that. This is, and, and, and also, if you think about just the way the team functioned on the night, this was... Definitely not a uh, a loss that you can lay at the doorstep of one Lucien Favre, who has been sort of a whipping boy for not only, you know, Dortmund fans, but some pundits and so forth saying that, you know, he doesn't set out his team to, to win big games. They just want to sort of stay in it and hang on. You know, this looked to me like a team that not only could have won, but should have won in a lot of ways. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm so tired uh, of, of these discussions on, t- on Twitter and, uh, you know, and other social media. I mean, the middle of the week there, there was that discussion going on. Well, Jesse Marsh, he's, uh, he, he sounds like an interesting proposition for Dortmund. Dortmund should sign him immediately. And I'm sort of like, come on, guys. <laughs> Lucien Favre actually um, has the players with him. And, uh, you know, if, if anything, this performance truly showed that the players seem to respond rather well to what Lucien Favre is actually telling them. And, you know, if they still do, they will eventually get results in these kinds of fixtures. Yep. Yep. I think so, too. I, I mean, it's a bit of a shame that, um, you know, circumstances in the world are as they are, period. But uh, it's also a shame that that this fixture was one that, um, you know, not only was was 
played behind closed doors, you know, because it is something of a disadvantage to to Dortmund. But just this is the kind of game that you really want to have as as like a sort of a feast of football. And it puts a little damper on things. I mean, all the broadcasters are trying their best by piping in all of the cheers and, you know, (laughs) boos and whistles. But we all know that that's not what's going on inside that ground. No, 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 it's not. And well, you know what? I, I, I think of I think of this as sort of like a test run for Qatar 2022, because probably no real fans are going to go there. Um, so what's FIFA going to do? Well, they're actually, going to kind of open the the tin from the uh, you know Geisterspieler and say, yeah, we we do we do have some tin sand. Let's let's just put it out on the on those football matches and you know make this crowd of you know businessmen from all around the world sound like a bunch of ultras. Yeah, well, you know, depending on who's playing, um, you may have a pretty underwhelming sound, uh, no matter how many fans turn up. <laughs> Once you see it on the television, it's like, oh, Ukraine against Saudi Arabia sounds like a Hamburg Derby. Come on. Oh, yes. There's, there's got to be some sort of geopolitical dimension to that that we, we've overlooked. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit about one of the big takeaways from this game, uh, which kind of puts puts a bit of a damper on um, Bayern's positive feelings, which is to say Joshua Kimmich got himself hurt. He has apparently a, a meniscus tear. He's going to have an operation, may already have even had it by the time you listen to this podcast. And the way he got it, I think, is going to be a little bit of food for thought for some people going forward. You know, he tried to put in a late challenge to stop a runaway freight train by the name of Erlin Holland, and he paid for it. He basically, like, tried to, to trip a horse and <laughs> got hurt doing it. He got a yellow card. He got a meniscus tear. He got tore up. <laughs> I don't know that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to do that to uh, Holland in the future. <laughs> No, I mean the. Well, I mean the, the, There wasn't any sort of uh, <laughs> attempt by Holland to to injure Kimmich. No, but um, but I mean it's yeah. I mean if if you want to stop that guy, who probably weighs I don't know one hundred eighty pounds or something. Uh, I mean he's a, he's a big bunch of muscles and he is so bloody quick. I mean once once you unleash that beast and you you see him run those. 32, 33, 34, 35 kilometers an hour. And with that weight, you are going to get hurt. I mean, that guy, he, he could play American football. Yeah, for sure. At a, at a fa- fairly, fairly high level. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, he would be he would be a very nice, uh, like, tight end for Iowa or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, yeah, I mean... Stopping, stopping that guy. Yeah, I mean he is he is so difficult to stop. It's uh, it's incredible, and you know, uh, I mean, I've I've waxed uh, lyrically about him on so many shows, but yes, that ball control, that technique, that pace, that finishing, what a player! Yeah, yeah, his finish I think is also worth um, a little bit of maybe not a waxing lyrical because you know I I think you've you've already mentioned that your 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 lyrical wax the the tub of lyrical wax is probably running pretty low at this point for you, mm. um, but I mine's mine's still got some and I mean that turn <laughs> that he did to to finish that for that that late goal that actually got them back into the game was <laughs> it was delicious. It was. Oh my goodness! And and you know you know what I mean. Um, Manuel Neuer was actually doing all the right things yeah. that you would tell goalkeepers to do, but he was chanceless. I mean that that was you know that was just executed to perfection by Hall, and so uh, yeah, well done him. And you know he's now scored. I think 19 goals in 21 matches. And, you know, we've mentioned the stat last week as well. The only player who's been more prolific in, you know, that young an age uh, is, is actually the great Uwe Zeller, who um, still somehow is always one goal ahead of Holland when it comes to how many game goals a guy has scored in 20 or 21 or 22 matches. Yep. Looking ahead, both of these teams, uh, you know, have, have a little time off. They are, of course, uh, being the high level that they they have in terms of of squad cost and squad prestige they're full of internationals everybody's going to go off and you know catch covid somewhere but when they come back things are not going to get any easier not necessarily the, the the quality of opponents i mean obviously i have my belief in in Hertha's future but um that's who dortmund open up against uh after the break they going right back into one of those uh, you know english ovoja 
after English Woche uh, gauntlets where they have, you know, Hertha on the weekend, Bruges at midweek, Cologne on the weekend, Lazio at midweek, Frankfurt on the weekend, and Zenit at midweek. It's very much like what we've seen in the past three weeks. Thinking of of the situation that both of these teams are in, I think, you know, the miss that that, uh, that Bayern are going to experience without Joshua Kimmich, um, I think that that could create some funky results for them uh, if they are going into another six games in three weeks situation. You know, they, they coped fine. They beat Dortmund uh, without him for the last, you know, hour of this game, and, and they sort of got the result over the line. But he's just such an important figure for, for that team. I, I think that, um, you know, Bayern's not necessarily going to march uh, through another six games in three weeks without, you know, dropping some some points in weird places. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um I mean he's he's a he's a vital guy for that team. He's he's the sort of player who speaks up within the dressing room and on the pitch and uh, he has the sort of quality that yeah that you know sees Bayern turnaround matches and um he's he's a leader on the pitch and uh Bayern is going to miss that. Uh so yeah, we we might be we might see some funky results but um you know, given the sort of run of fixtures Bayern have over the next few weeks, I'm not holding my breath on, you know, any any sort of big surprises. And, you know, as I said, the, the next match for them in the Bundesliga is Werder Bremen. And uh, even without Kimmich, uh, I would assume that this is going to be a fairly simple uh, task for them to to stop that run of Werder's uh, 1-1 draws. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm probably a bit more concerned about their trip to Stuttgart on November 28th. Um, you know, Stuttgart have shown that they can they can strike quick on some people, and, and Bayern has, has shown a slight susceptibility, especially in the Hoffenheim game, uh, to teams who play uh, vertically. And then, of course, uh, being at home to Leipzig on, on December 5th, that's going to be a test, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you, you would like to have a guy like Kimmich in, in that fixture against Mainz. Uh, Mainz, no, not Mainz, uh, Leipzig. But yeah, you would like to have him against Mainz too, but maybe not as much needed as against <laughs> you Leipzig. Can, you can have him coach the team that day. You know, why not? Give give Hansi the day off. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Um, this is not all classicer all the time here on uh, Talking Foosball. We do like these uh, these fixtures, and especially when they, they turn up and uh, give us the goods. But there was a lot more going on this week. Especially the last match of the weekend, which, you know, had so much late action. Uh, I've neglected in my show notes to note it down, but I do know the, the correct score. It was a 4-3 win for Bayer Nulfia Leverkusen over uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. This game was also well worth the price of admission. It was, uh, you know, a two-time comeback win for uh, Leverkusen. And, you know, this will also not surprise you that the... Being these two teams really, really like to play at speed, have a very good uh, transition game. There's a lot of quick strike action. Uh, Lars Stindl and Lucas Alario traded two goals apiece in the first half. Uh, and then the second half was a bit more uh, shaded toward the pharmaceuticals. Really, really nice sliding goal from a ridiculously tight angle by Leon Bailey. Uh, definitely check that one out on, on the web tubes, as well as the aforementioned... <laughs> Scorpion kick goal mm. from Valentino Lazaro. My God. My God. Yeah, I mean, that that was a delicious goal, and it was a delicious match. Actually, my, my three-year-old son, or um, soon-to-be three-year-old son, he actually, you know, he, he usually managed to keep his interest in a football match for like five or ten minutes before he runs off and do, does anything else. But actually, this one, he, he watched for, I think, 25, 30 minutes straight, which, uh, you know... I've, goes to show you it was a high-paced affair it was an interesting affair and uh yeah absolutely um by you know by British and Gladbach taking taking the lead through penalty against the run of play and you know having you know there was even some some sort of VAR controversy with uh Leverkusen getting a goal not awarded because of a you know offside position one player being active sort of and you know being in, in that critical space in front of Jan Sommer uh, blocking his view, which was uh, sure. sort of... Yeah, Amiri would have had a really, really nice goal if he hadn't done that. I, I bought it, though. I thought that was just... Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, you know. the, there was some discussion on Norwegian television. I was sort of in the mind that, yeah, you, you can disallow that goal. You can let it stand. I'm, I'm sort of... Um, I'm going with grey area here. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was, it was absolutely entertaining. Uh, both teams 
showed that they have a lot of firing power up front. And as for Leverkusen, my God, uh, Lucas Alario, you mentioned him there. Uh, last week we talked about him, you know, starting to write another storyline for himself and for his team and for, you know, Bayer Leverkusen, needing that guy who can provide them with 20, 25 goals per season. And, you know, he seems to be on course to become that guy for them. And he's now scored in the last four matches for them. And, uh, we, you know, sort of talked at the start of the season of Bosch sort of emphasizing the defense and, you know, trying to, you know, approach those matches from a sort of safety perspective. But he's sort of gradually given up on that and sort of allowed his team to attack a little bit more for each week. And when you see them have the ball up the pitch now, you see that they are finding better solutions. They are acting quicker. And uh, what you see from that is that they are actually starting to produce the sort of chances we saw them produce at their best last season. And uh, that is not a mean feat, given that, you know, we've been wondering for how many weeks it would take to sort of make the departure of Kai Harvards be a forgotten thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, you know, <laughs> I feel like sometimes, um, you know, pundits or writers or, you know, even fans are sometimes taken to task for um, constantly talking about goals, talking about strikers, talking about, you know, the attacking half of the game. Because, you know, folks who sort of, you know, are, are practitioners of the game understand that there's a lot more phases to the game than just that. But, <laughs> you know, when you have a, a guy who's basically scoring a couple of goals almost every game, that changes everything for you. I mean, this this narrative that, that has basically ruled the Bundesliga the last couple of seasons and looks like it's going to happen for, for a couple of more seasons to come has been about, you know, Gladbach and Leverkusen sort of vying in various years to become that, that fourth team in the Champions League. And it looks, it looks like, to me, that's going to go on for a while. But, you know, if one of those teams suddenly has a guy who can score 20, 25 goals... They're the one who's going to be in fourth. I promise you. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Lucas Lowry might very well be that difference maker. And, um, you know, as for, as for Gladbach, um, player is great, Tyrone is great. But do you see any of them score 20, 25 goals right now? I don't. It's it's a bit weird. I mean, when player had that really good first half of the season, um, you know, a couple couple of seasons ago, it looked to me like maybe he was going to turn into that. Mm. And, and I really like a lot of what I see from from Tyrone as well. But no, I, I, I don't see it yet. No, neither do I, and, and you know, I mean, that's why I might, I might change my mind and think that Leverkusen might be the the more likely side to to finish fourth. But you know, I mean, the, I'm probably going to change my mind every week, um, going by how these two sides are going. And uh, let's not forget that, uh, you know, Borussia Mönchengladbach, they've they've they are playing in the Champions League. They had a strenuous uh, return from Ukraine, so yeah. But you know, having said that. Leverkusen played on Thursday in the Europa League and uh, they too had a 4-2 win there. So um, we, we actually maybe not the best excuse for Gladbach, but uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, both of these teams are pretty much great. They're both, they're among the most entertaining sides in the Bundesliga to watch right now. And uh, this fight, you know, that fight for fourth position is going to go on for, for some weeks. Yep. It's, uh, it's definitely not a one team league as, as listeners to this show. Uh, understand. We got a couple of more games that I want to talk about in the uh, the best uh, portion of this show, although probably um, has a somewhat less meat on the bone than the ones that we just uh, talked about. But they are uh, brought together by uh, by a certain location, hmm. which is to say uh, the, the the Hauptstadt, uh, Germany's capital, Berlin. Um, it was a really really big weekend for Berlin sides in the Bundesliga. We should probably start with the one uh, who's you know not only uh, got a big win but it got themselves up into the European places, Champions League places. Ooh. Can you believe this? Oh, well, for a while they were there, and then now they're in fifth or sixth or something like that. But, you know, leave it aside. They're, they're doing great. They're really doing great. Uh, Union. Yeah. Erste FC Union Berlin are in a European place. That sounds so crazy. <laughs> but, you know, the, the Köpenickers, they are doing it right now. They killed Bielefeld. It was a 5-0 win. Huge golf in class in this game. Um, one that really made you sort of wonder, like, how was it that these two clubs 
spent the better part of the last decade together in the Zweite Bundesliga. And now just one year head start in, in the Bundesliga, you know, Union look like they come from a different galaxy than, than Bielefeld. Yeah. It's utterly strange in, in that sense, but in another sense, um, what you have to keep in mind is that Union is not necessarily the sort of club that is adverse to thinking big. You know, they they are the sort of team that uh, stands for bringing the fans along, getting the fans involved. And certain people or certain parts of the press, they sort of want to impose that sort of left-wing image on them. Um, like they are, you know, the East Germany St. Pauli, which they absolutely are not. Because I think Union Drum gets a fan base from a much more diverse sort of background. Um but, you know, having said that, Dirk Singler is, is the sort of man who always thinks, what's next? How can we grow? How can we get to, you know, I mean, he started out in the Regionalliga, the third tier. And he's all, his mind is always on what is our next step? How can we improve? And look at how they acted in the transfer window this summer. Look at, you know, COVID going on. And yet... They're bringing Max Kruse, they're bringing Loris Karius, they're bringing, you know, Knoche. Uh, they bring in a lot of Bundesliga experience. Uh, additionally, they're bringing that, uh, the Japanese playmaker, uh, Endo, uh, absolutely terrific signing. So, you know what? They are actually having the ability to generate so much more money than Bielefeld would ever have done if they'd stayed in the Bundesliga at the same time with them and bringing the sort of player material that actually can sort of catapult them to the next step. I mean, last season, they were the sort of team that said, okay, let's sit back, let's defend well, let's be a nasty bunch to play against. But what we see this season is that they are actually trying to go out and say, okay, we were hey guys, we actually do want to play some football too. And they're doing that spectacular well at the moment. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they are basically, they've retained their, you know, hard to beat quality. But they've added a dimension that, you know, when they play bad teams, which is they, you know, are, are teams that have pretty limited resources or are having problems. You know, they played Mainz, they destroyed them. They played Bielefeld, they destroyed them. I mean, they understand that like <laughs> running up the score on teams who you should beat is a really smart way to sort of, you know, get yourself up a few more rungs to sort of uh, strike a little bit of fear into into teams. It's a great way to pad your goal difference. Um, you know, this is actually a pretty fun team to watch now, which yeah, I would not have seen coming necessarily. I even got a draw against Lappach on the road. They they yep. bet Hoffenheim on the road. I mean, those are the sort of results that can get you places in the Bundesliga for sure. So, um, yeah, and that signing of Max Kruse, my my lord, he's been involved in so many goals for them. And, you know, there was that question that, okay, Max Kruse, he's been in Turkey for one year. He had trouble there and he's not played any sort of football or significant kind of football since what was it January February or something and um, you know there was question there were questions about how well he was going to do turns out he's he's done ever so well for them he's uh, you know the same sort of player that we saw you know take Werder Bremen almost to a European finish well um, after all these hosannas for uh, Union we might as well uh, talk a little bit about the the good news for the west side of Berlin as well. Hertha, they finally took three points uh, for the first time since match day one. Hooray! Yeah, right, right? They thumped uh, Augsburg uh, on the road. It was, uh, you know, like usual, uh, Mateus Cunha who got them on the board. Uh, he converted a spot kick just before halftime, but they're... Eh, was a bit of a lead lining to that cloud. Uh, Felix Udakai, you know, new, new, newly minted Germany player, Felix Udakai's foul on John Cordoba uh, that set up that penalty kick caused an ankle ligament injury that looks like it's going to keep uh, the Colombian out until the end of the year. Uh, but his his replacement, Christoph uh, Piontek, who looked pretty shaky for most of his uh, second half outing, you know, shooting at the wrong time, passing at the wrong time, being off off target. Um, all that doesn't matter because uh, after, you know, Dodi Lukobakio, who also <laughs> had not had a great game until he scored, um, you know, 
Piontek, with with what four minutes from time, he got the goal that will hopefully give him some confidence uh, going into the next few weeks. Um, you know, I've been saying it for a number of weeks. Certainly, uh, at no later than than the uh, you know narrow loss to Bayern. Uh, although I've been kind of repeating this this uh, mantra subsequently too. I really felt like this team was doing okay. Um, but they basically had not yet learned to sort of clean up the stupid mistakes. And I'm, I still believe in this team. I still think that, um, you know, if they can play as well as they've been playing for the past several weeks and not make dumb mistakes, they're going to beat a lot of teams. But <laughs> without John Cordoba, I'm a little less uh, confident. Uh, should, should I be confident? I mean, there's still Matthew Lucky at the club. Right. Come on. Come uh, on. Okay. You're okay. going to lecky me? I, I'm going to lecky you all night. Um, No, but listen, I mean, I, I do, I would have a little bit more faith in uh, Piontek, to be honest. I mean, he's sort of shown what he can do in Italy and he, you know, he hasn't had the greatest of time ever since he came to Germany, but maybe, just maybe, um, if he gets a run of matches and he gets, you know, if, if there's a confidence put into him, uh, he might repay that as most strikers tend to do. I mean, yes, he might have games without goals one, two, or three weeks in a row, but once that sort of um, first goal comes, and uh, it already did come in this match, actually, but once he you know gets one or two more goals, he's off the mark, and he'll do you well, because, I mean, I watched him against Werder Bremen, in that match and um you know what i observed is that at his best he's got great movement he's got a good understanding of how to get into dangerous positions and how to finish moves and um you know once he gets the ball over the line many more balls will go over the line because i think he's a striker that has some sort of quality to to score a few goals each season yeah well they've got dortmund Leverkusen, Union, and Gladbach coming up in the next four games. So I really, really hope old uh, El Pistolero <laughs> scores some goals because we're going to need it. I mean, even with Cordoba, that would have been difficult. Come on. All right. I, I, let's, let's back out of the best of match day seven. But I, I, it seems to me that you might have a few nuggets of knowledge that you'd like to share. Yeah, as we mentioned at, at the top of the show, seven penalties in one match day is actually Bundesliga record, new Bundesliga record. And actually, the last 35 penalties in the Bundesliga have all been converted. Until Sunday. That is... Until Sunday. That is a new record as well. And uh, Max Kruse, he has now converted his last 16 penalties. He's taken 16 penalties in the Bundesliga, scored all 16 of them. Which uh, puts him equal with another player. Um, don't remember who that is. Uh, but in any case, if he converts one more penalty, he will be the most secure penalty taker in the Bundesliga's history. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we mop up the match day by talking about the rest of the action. You know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this was definitely a week where there's a lot more best than rest. I think that there's uh, a, a number of games in here which could have found their way um, into the higher spots. Basically, the first one I want to mention is the one from the early game from Sunday. That was uh, Wolfsburg and Hoffenheim. That was, uh, you know, people have called it El Plastico in the past, but, you know, just as the Bundesliga and others have, have sort of uh, teutonized uh, the name, we might as well do the same. We're going to call it Dea Plastica. Oh, my. <laughs> if you thought it was the only classic, <laughs> you know, you're wrong. Dea Plastica happened, or one of Dea Plastica. You, you know, the, the third leg of the, the plastic, or I guess now it's four legs. You can, any game featuring uh, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Leipzig, or... Leverkusen can legitimately be called plastic because of the, uh, the, the 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 criticism that's often leveled at those clubs for their 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 lack of um, organic tradition. Although there is some, I think there's some counter arguments to be made for some of those clubs. Um, yeah, but this game was dope. I really like this game. Roller coaster of a game. I mean, the the Wolves were, you know, they were two nil up, looking good. With what? How many minutes left in this game? Five minutes? And then suddenly, Zavashlager, you know, is brought down in the box. Vout Vekhorst, who was on the same track that, uh, you know, Max Kruse had been on, never missed a penalty in the Bundesliga. Missed his first one. 
Then a couple of minutes after that, Sargis Adamian uh, scored for Hoffenheim after John Brooks misjudged uh, a header that he wanted to head back to the goalkeeper. Um, Hoffenheim were awarded a penalty uh, a couple of minutes later, which Munas de Boer wasn't able to convert uh, after Con Castile's guessed uh, the, the right direction. But he pushed it out for a corner. And on that corner, there was some hurly-burly in the box <laughs> that should have led to another Hoffenheim penalty, which for whatever reason, the, 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 the referee was not willing to, to review it. This was the most bizarre bananas uh, end to a game. I, you know... Am I crazy or was this like a surprisingly entertaining game between a couple of clubs that not many people really want to watch? Yeah, I mean, if you would pay the Bundesliga sides by how many people would watch them, um, you know, uh, Wolfsburg and Hoffenheim would probably be at the bottom of that table uh, alongside a couple of other teams like, I don't know, Mainz, for instance, and Augsburg. But um, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, having... You know, we know what these sides have been capable of over the years, and especially Hoffenheim always are able to assemble a young and good bunch that is willing to play attacking football and take risks. And, um, uh, you know, they they tend to be a bit topsy-turvy in terms of their performances, but they do tend to put up a good attacking display week in and week out, and, and they did so again this week, yeah against Wolfsburg, who are, as we talked about, one of one of the most notoriously difficult sides to beat in the Bundesliga at the moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, they are really tough to beat. They have not yet been beaten in the Bundesliga thus far this season. And yet, <laughs> there were reports at the end of the week coming out of, of Wolfsburg that um, CEO, whatever, uh, Jörg Schmatke and uh, sporting director Marcel Schäfer were considering firing their coach, Oliver Glasner, uh, over some, you know, impolitic comments that he had made about their, their you know, lack of, of you know, success in, in fulfilling his, you know, desires in the transfer market. I mean, it, it seemed crazy to me, crazy to me that they would even be considering that because Wolfsburg are good. They are playing fine. You know, they probably have drawn a couple of games that they could have won. But this is a good team. And why would you go and fire a coach from a good team? But then I remembered, oh, it's Jörg Schmatke, who no one gets along with and who fires coaches, you know, for stupid interpersonal reasons. So then I was like, oh, yeah, they're probably going to do that. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> yeah, it uh, it would strike me as one of the oddest decisions um, so far this season. If they were indeed let, you know, if you if they were to let Oliver Glasner go, um, yeah, they they are pretty much on course to to get into a European spot once again. They are performing at a great level in term in terms of. Uh, their squad and their budget and uh, they are where they are supposed to be and they're playing the sort of football they want to play and they have seen improvements over the last few weeks now they've got two wins on the bounce they won against Bielefeld they won against Hoffenheim what more can you want at this current stage yeah yeah and, and it added a new little bit of a uh, context to I noticed last week uh, when when Wolfsburg and Hertha played, and of course the last coach who was let go by Jörg Schmatke uh, at uh, Wolfsburg was Bruno Labbadia, I noticed that him and Glasner had a long conversation <laughs> after that game. And now I'm pretty sure I know what they might have been talking about. <laughs> they might have been trading stories about what a terrible boss this guy is. How do you, how do you find working with Jörg? Do you like him? Do, do you like do you like working with Jörg? Well, you know, I got the team to the Europa League, and still he wouldn't extend my contract. He's horrible. He's horrible, that guy. You know, but you know, I'm glad to see you got that job. <laughs> I mean, Bruno Labbadia actually went quietly when he was not given a contract extension, and I think he showed a lot of class. Uh, other coaches like Mirkus Lomka, uh, there there were a lot more ruffling of the feathers and a lot more nastiness, a lot more... Class and Mirkus Lomka do not often appear uh, in the same sentence. No, no, they don't. So, But, you know, I mean, so to give you an example of, of uh, how these relationships usually turn out with Jörg Schmatke and... Uh, I mean, Oliver Glasner saying that, you know what, I didn't get all the players I wanted in the transfer market is pretty much what any coach would tell you if he's honest. I mean, look, for instance, at Florian Korfeld and Werder Bremen. 
he said, you know, I want, I want a holding midfielder. And uh, what did he get? Nothing. Nothing at all. And they let go Philip Barkford, they let go Nuri Shine, and, you know, you know that, that team. He got Patrick Aris from, from uh, you know, the side that almost got relegated from the Bundesliga 2. So, you know, any coach is probably going to tell you that, uh, you know what, I, I wanted a couple couple more players uh, in order to get the team where I wanted to be. But um, if that much honesty is too much for Jörg Schmatke, I don't think he's going to find any coach he's going to end up working with for more than two or three years. Yep, yeah. It's a real shame because uh, Schmatke signs players really well. He's He's got a great track record uh, on, the, on the transfer market. But almost... Every new relationship with a coach seems to go sour uh, after you know a certain period of time. Anyway, uh, let's 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 talk about Hoffenheim for a second. Um, this is a real slide that they're on now. They opened up the season with you know wins over Cologne and then you know quite quite famously Bayern, um, but they uh, have lost four games and drawn. They you know no wins in the last five. Is there anything much to worry about here? I mean, I I am am not necessarily convinced that this is. Uh, that this is anything but uh, a dip in in results rather than a- I think it's what we talked about with Hertha as well. It's, it's more a case of Ergebniskrise, a uh, crisis of results rather than a form crisis. I mean, I've seen them play in a couple of matches in that five-match spell. And both matches, you could say that they either should have you know gotten a win or a draw out of it. So, um, and, and, you know, when you watch the XG and all that... Um, yeah, they, they, they tend to create chances and, you know, these, these sort of runs, they come to an end at some point because uh, good performances over a period of time, as long as you are able to sustain them, are going to be rewarded in the end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so let's talk about some teams uh, for whom uh, you can't really talk about uh, a results crisis. This is a real crisis for both. It's a crisis yeah. crisis. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crisis with, a, with, you know, a C, capital C in English or, you know, capital K in German. Um, Mainz and Schalke, they played to a 2-2 two, two draw in Der Krapiker. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Mainz... Probably isn't slightly deeper doo-doo than, than Schalke. They had not picked up a single point heading into this game, uh, whereas Schalke... You could actually call it Der Kakiko. <laughs> der Kakiko. I like that pretty good, too. Uh, Schalke, however, if you if you look at more of the span of history, are certainly in, in deeper doo-doo. Uh, they have not yet... I mean, they, they haven't won a game since uh, everyone thought it was weird to wear masks at the airport. Like a really, really long time. Two penalties for Mites uh, is, is how they got things done in this one. Uh, Schalke got things done through a really, really nice uh, free kick from Mark Ut and then uh, an own goal late. Did you see anything in this match that's going to make you think either of these teams are, are ready to, you know, go on the march? Or is this just going to be, you know, a, a pretty long slog? Uh, well, I'm... Yeah, uh, having watched only highlights from that match, and you know, going over the stats and such. Uh, yeah, I don't. No, I, I honestly, I can't. I, I cannot see anything that sort of made me believe that. Oh, one of these two teams is going to turn this around. I good on Schalke getting back twice from you know conceding penalties, and uh, but you know, having said that, uh, my my God. Um, both of these teams should should have been able to do so much better all season long, and uh, when they meet each other, it's you know time to turn the tables and time to turn it around and you know show that you don't belong at the at the bottom of the table and kick the other team's ass. And you know none of these two sides was capable of doing that. All right, let's uh, let's move on to talking about uh, Stuttgart versus Eintracht. This was a total you know tale of two halves story. Uh, Stuttgart got a two nil lead in the first half, but uh, Eintracht found their way back into the game. Uh, second half substitute Iman Barkok set up both goals for for the Eagles to get a point in this one. I was really psyched to hear about that. I mean, I, I of course was. I had another game to watch at the time, as I always do when there are games played at the same time that Hair to play. But I'm, I'm psyched that that Barcock had a big game. He was, you know, he came in uh, in the 46th minute right after the half, and you know, this is a guy who I remember from his debut, celebrated debut against <laughs> against Vitter Bremen back in 2016. He scored a late winner. Hasn't really done a lot since then. It was on loan for, you know, I think a season and a half, maybe even two seasons at Fortuna Dusseldorf. And 
he's grown up a lot. I mean, he he doesn't look like a kid anymore. He looks he looks a bit more like a man. He still retains a, a really sort of uh, light touch with the ball. I mean, especially the the assist that he got for the uh, the Andre Silva goal. Really nice touch and really nice vision. Like he basically recovered the ball after having been put under pressure, right up to the byline, and then put a no look pass um, cut back into the box, served it up on a plate for Silva. I mean, this. This is a guy who I think may still have something. Indeed, and I think the week before was him who actually uh, stole the ball away from uh, John Manuel Mbom at Werder Bremen to uh, mm-hmm. set up that move that created that 1-1 equalizer for Eintracht Frankfurt, and I think that was scored by Silva too. So yeah, that's two weeks in a row where he's actually played a vital role in securing Frankfurt a point. And yeah, he's, he's got a lot of football in him, and he's... Um, you know, he's a, he's a quick, thrifty player. And uh, that debut against Bremen sort of made us wonder where he could go. And yes, definitely pivotal to the year for him. I mean, it's time to show that he belongs with the big boys now. Or if he doesn't, uh, he might very well end up going one division down to one of the bigger clubs in the Bundesliga 2. Yeah, well, th- there's a lot of bigger clubs in Bundesliga 2 who could use some guys who can actually play football. So let's talk now about uh, Leipzig and Freiburg. Um, this was, I think, a pretty surprising result considering how many problems um, Leipzig have had with uh, Freiburg over the years. I think the, Leipzig had only beaten Freiburg once in their last five tries, but this was not uh, a close game. This was one-way traffic. Leipzig got a 3-0 win. Ibrahim Konate, Marcel Zabitzer, and Angelino all scored, you know, they were just sort of rubbing their hands together from, from minute one. And it was, it was souverain, as they say, in, in the Deutschland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely nothing uh, to be joyous about, <laughs> about this match, said Christian Streich after that uh, in the, during the press conference. And uh, yeah, I think we can leave it at that and move on to the last game. I love it. I mean, Christian Streich, when he... Puts a lid on things. He puts it on tight. He puts <laughs> it on tight. We, we, I can't, we can't get into this game because he's, the lid's just put on so tight. Okay, so finally, uh, we had the Friday night special. I thought it was a pretty pretty decent match. It was not, you know, not fireworks, not uh, a lot of slick stuff, but it was a good up-and-down game. It was uh, Verde Bremen, of course, so I'm sure you were tuned in uh, versus Cologne. Uh, Nicholas Moisander, he put uh, Bremen under the gun with an own goal. Kind of, uh, <laughs> he just latched onto that looping free kick from Andre Duda and thought, "I know just where to put this." Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nicholas made Nicholas scream in agony on the couch. <laughs> Nicholas versus Nicholas. But uh, you know, actually, Nicholas uh, Vildhagen had the last laugh uh, after uh, Leo Bittencourt uh, evened up the score through a penalty eight minutes from time. Yes, I think there has got there had to be more on the table for for Vetter in this game. Are, are were you how frustrated were you after this one? Very frustrated. Um, Werder had a few chances and they had a number of good attacks, and it was the first time they actually faced a team that was you know trying to to really defend low and just. You know, keep the, allow Verda coming at them all the time, and uh, Cologne really all they really did all match long is defend. And uh, Verda Bremen they got into the attacking third on many occasions, but oftentimes that last pass went wrong, went missing, or it wasn't played precise enough, or Leonardo Bittencourt once again decided to. Well, you know what? There are two or three good runs on, but I gotta go and shoot from twenty five meters because oh, I'm Leonardo Bittencourt, and that's what I do. <laughs> Uh, there was one time where I saw one of those breaks where Bittencourt had, I think, Sargent to his right, and maybe now it was too late. It was too late to have Rushich still on. I, I can't remember who was who was left, and I was like, "There is no way he is going to pass the ball to either of these people. He's going to take a shot from like three yards outside the box, and Nick is going to lose his mind." I did. I did. I, I. I know the. I. I know the break you're referring to. And yeah, that. That was absolutely. That was absolutely horrendous. I mean, fair play to him. He got another goal. Uh, and he scored some vital goals for Verda over the years. Uh, let's not forget about that. But yeah, that tendency of him, you know, trying to get go for goal instead of shooting, that has to stop because in in that moment, if he just had tried to slip through a pass to Sergeant, Sergeant might have been 
able to score the winner. But, you know, hey, it's only three points. One point, one point for you. One point for you. That's better than no points. Indeed. And, you know, four one ones on a row is, is actually first for Werder Bremen. So, um, yeah. But as long as Werder Bremen keeps taking points, I'm, I'm happy. Ten points from seven match days. Uh, if you ask me at the start of the season, would you take that? I'd say, yeah. At, after seven match days, I would like to be a quarter of the way done with, you know, securing Werder Bremen's existence in, <laughs> in the Bundesliga. After only seven match days, because, you know, mathematically speaking, if they continue on that road, they will be done securing that place in the Bundesliga on match day 28. Now, wouldn't that be nice? You could just put your feet up and, you know, <laughs> so hope something entertaining enough happens to that, that your son will want to watch with you. <laughs> okay, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Really, really good to have you back uh, for another week. We are we're, we're building up a new streak, Nick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is um, our sixth episode together out of a possible seven. Yeah, we are as secure a bet as Max Cruiser from the penalty spot. Mm. It turns out. Yeah, even even better bet than uh, Valt Vakhorst, uh, as it turns out. You can follow Nick. On the Twitter machine, uh, at Normusings, uh, you can hear lots more of him over on our Patreon page where he just seems to put out new things every three or four days. And, and that's a boon for all you patrons who uh, can, can get access to all this content for not very much a month. Yeah. And, you know, just to keep reminding you, we do have that competition going. 75 patrons and a new Bundesliga swag bag is handed out. So um, we're getting there. Uh, so sign up if you want to be in the running for that. And on Monday, we even have a special interview lined up about East German football. So that is pretty much a must listen in my book. Fantabulous. Uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. The podcast feed is, of course, at Talking Foosball. You can subscribe to us uh, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, please do, you know, review us there. Please do tell your friends about us. And uh, until then, this is from Nixon Mullion. 